a dating and makeover expert where I will help you build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. Do you often ask yourself, why am I attracting so many narcissists? What can I do to stop this? I mean, many people feel as if they are narcissist magnets. I hear this a lot. And it, it's almost, if, if there's a person with a narcissistic personality disorder within 100 feet, you'll somehow find them, right? And, and in fact, even if you think the next person you date looks different, somehow you unzip the costume they have on and you discover later on, oh my God, it's the same person. Like, how did he get there? And here's the other thing about narcissists. They create chaos. I don't know if you've ever like thought about that before. Even in the most healthy, structured, and confident person, narcissists manufacture chaos to keep you focused on them and only them. And they know they cannot sustain your interest in them long-term because they rely on a false mask to navigate the world, right? And they may not actually enjoy the state of frenzy, but instead are driven to give off this impression to cover up feelings of despair and lack of importance. It's really, that is the costume, right? That's the cover-up. Manufactured chaos allows this really malignant narcissist to keep you on the hamster wheel of trying to figure out their intentions and second guessing yourself. Like you ever feel like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? You know, and you think you're doing everything right. And you think, oh my God, what, why am I feeling this way? And that is exactly what they are trying to do. They try to train you to question what you did wrong rather than holding on to them accountable for their actions. And they convince you that setting boundaries or expressing discomfort with their disturbing antics is the problem rather than their problematic behavior. And they actually prey on your giving and loving actions and turn it into turmoil. I remember working with a woman who was a quintessential people pleaser. And because of that, she constantly attracted narcissists. And so much so that by the time I started working with her, her life was in complete disarray and chaos. And she confused pleasing people with kindness. And when discussing her reluctance to turn down someone's request for a favor, she would say things like, I don't want to be selfish or I, oh, I just, I want to be a good person. So guess what? She ended up shutting her voice and shoving her feelings down in her body to ignore all of that. And all of this stemmed, of course, from her childhood and putting my therapist hat on, as I always do in the beginning, she disclosed that she grew up in a home with narcissistic and abusive father. And she learned that having a voice would get her in trouble. So she shut it down and did everything she could do to please him. And even though it was an empty pit, because in the end, nothing was really good enough. So fast forward to her adult life, she consequently allowed others to take advantage of or, or control her, right? And attracted lopsided relationships, such as narcissists, fixer-uppers, emotionally unavailable, you name it. I mean, they're all kind of the same. Let's just call them takers. And her self-worth and self-esteem in the end was just shot 
And we worked together on finding her voice by practicing expressing her feelings. And I even had her dating a bunch of men, not for the purposes of having a boyfriend, but just getting used to actually nice men (laughs) that felt foreign to her and really owning her sexy confidence so that men would actually earn her. And of course, we had to get her a new wardrobe. She kind of let herself go, learning how to flirt, slowing down the dating process were crucial parts of her journey. And in the end, she attracted a great guy. And so much so that she didn't even trust it. She was second guessing herself and was, she was just waiting for the ball to drop. And she even started self-sabotaging things. And, you know, if if I wasn't coaching her, I think that chaos and the drama that she started creating would have kept going and it wasn't warranted. So here, that's, you know, just a small example or a big example, however you look at it, of just what goes on with narcissistic relationships. And thankfully she worked through it and she's still with this guy today, but it does take work. And it's totally different than maybe what you're used to, what she was used to, because all of a sudden she found herself calm and happy in this reciprocal relationship that just was completely foreign. And it's not easy to escape. I'm going to be honest, but given the proper support and tools, you can break free from this loop that you might be in. And with me today is an amazing woman who has actually done that and now is on a mission to help others create absolute masterpieces out of complete chaos and they, that they may be experiencing from a struggling single mom, God, can I relate, um, to escaping a 13-year-old narcissistic abusive relationship. Her tenacity and optimistic spirit has inspired fans worldwide and helped endless amounts of people break through and discover their own untapped talents and immense potential. I love that. Now she is a creator and CEO of Human Better 365, a human transformation company, creator of her version podcast, and founder of the Sober Society community. She is a speaker, entrepreneur, and author, and a fellow Chicagoan, I just found out. Welcome, Sabrina Victoria. Hello. Hello. Oh, it's so good to be here. We're going to have like such a, an amazing conversation because I didn't realize like your journey and how much we have in common, but also like how you broke free. And I, I just, I want to hear more. I mean, I told a little bit of the story, but I would love to hear more about that. Yes. I love the story that you shared in the beginning um, because mm-hmm. that is actually very much relatable. One of the things I hate to say that I love, but like that I really appreciate is the similarities when you, when you hear this stuff, because when I was in that situation, I thought I was going crazy. I thought I was the only one, like the only one. And then once you break out and you start to immerse yourself for those that do that into the world and and meet other people who have endured stuff like that, which is why it's so important to have community around you that understand your story. Mm -hmm. Um, So heartwarming knowing that like, there's people out there that get it. They just get it. Cause it's hard to describe. I was never hit mm. when you're never hit. It's like, is that even really abuse? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm glad you're distinguishing that. Cause there's all kinds of abuse. Right. And, and it, it, and, and it's almost worse cause there aren't scars. There aren't bruises that are physical, but they are inside. Right. Yeah. And and that's kind of the journey. Well, I would love to hear, I mean, obviously you were in this like long relationship. 
when did you first, I guess, started detecting that things were off and, and noticing these kind of like behaviors and how you felt? Yeah. So I'm going to back up like four sentences, but it's literally also like 20 years. uh, (laughs) I was, uh, I was raised as a Jehovah's witness Uh and I got pregnant when I was 20 with no husband. So I was cast out my entire family, my entire community cut me off literally within like 72 hours. So I was in the middle of leading a stereotypical single mom life of like no community, complete isolation, trying to get back with God, could, didn't belong in my community, also didn't belong in like the world. So I'm just kind of like hovering in this isolation of like no money, no self-worth, sinner, darkness. Um, and when I say like no money, like actually digging in the couch cushions for 42 cents to put gas in my car only so it's still empty kind of broke, like wow. walking to the grocery store because I couldn't have food, gas and food type of broke. So that's when I met this man and he had people ask this, like, when did you know? I knew day one that there was something. He had red flags stapled all over his body. I mean, everywhere you turn. But I was so desperate. And I think that this is this is like the tale, tale, the tall tale of um, narcissism. Like I was in such a desperate state of like despair and just grappling for anybody who would pay attention to me, anybody. And he was there. He was there. I was a mom. So like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's paying attention to me. I'm a single mom. And, um, yeah, day one, I knew, I mean, I could tell you any, any kind of story you want, but the harassment, the verbal abuse, mental abuse, the gaslighting happened within weeks of us meeting. Mm. You know, it's interesting because, I mean, I've been in narcissistic relationships and helped a lot of other clients, you know, kind of through it. And and one of the things that's so interesting in the beginning is kind of like what you're talking about, like when you're in that desperate state of just needing that attention for self-worth and, you know, whatever, it's like they they give you crumbs, right? And and you think it's the cake, but you'll just like take it. And um, I wondered in the beginning did you feel that it was actually good attention? You know what I mean? Like, or did you know deep down that this doesn't feel right? Because I know there are a lot of people are like, well, but, but this guy was so charismatic and he was funny and he made me feel amazing. And he told me I was beautiful. And it's like all the things that like women really want to hear. And I didn't know if that, that happened to you too, because it can be hard to distinguish at first. Yeah, he did all those things. He told me that I was beautiful, but I got put on that roller coaster mm-hmm. of um love bombing and trauma. Um trauma bond, I guess. Um Yeah. I mean literally within the first month. So I was he had me chasing that carrot immediately for attention. And he also did a lot of triangulation. So that was the way that he he had other women that was that were in and around him. And he would use those women as like almost um, me climbing, trying to like be first place. Yeah. And he would give it to me sometimes and then other times not. So it was like this game. Push me, pull me. Yeah. Yeah. That is so common. 
Yeah. Well, and, and how long did that go on until you finally like decided to do something about it? Eight years. Wow. Yeah. Eight years. So what happened was uh, within a very short amount of time, he convinced me to leave my place and this was all done very like covertly. So I didn't know he was like, leave your place and move in with me. I will, I will save you. You don't have to pay rent. Just take care of the house. And I was like, Oh my gosh, thank you. (laughs) And then he's like, Hey, quit your job. It sucks. That job sucks. Come work for me in my company. We'll build an empire together. And I was like, Oh my gosh, thank you. And then I couldn't pay my phone bill because he was barely paying me any money working 14 hours a day for his company. Um, so I couldn't pay my phone bill. And so I was, I came to him. I was like, oh, I can't pay my phone bill. I don't know what to do. I'm paying for my son and I'm paying for my car and my gas. And I don't have money for my phone bill. And he was like, oh, get rid of that phone bill. Come on to my phone plan. And I was like, oh, thank you. And then he did it with my car. And what happened is we're within a very short amount of time. If you look around, he controlled everything. So all of my money, uh, everything that had to do with any, the only thing I had at that point was my clothes. So as I, as he got more power, the mental and emotional abuse got worse. The sexual abuse got worse. The financial abuse was always there the entire time. Um, I looked around, I was eight years in, I was on the floor, in the bathroom, in the dark, having a complete mental breakdown, like dying. Like for those of you that that have been in like a real narcissistic, abusive relationship, you know what it feels like to be on the ground, just pouring your soul out of your body. That is what was happening to me on the bathroom floor. And I pulled out my phone and I like to say that Google saved my life. I actually Googled in the tears and the snot and the crying and the ridiculousness of whatever that was, I Googled, why is my boyfriend bullying me? Because I didn't know any other vernacular other than bullying. I had no idea. And this entire world of toxic relationships, narcissism, empathy, codependency, all the abuse that I already mentioned just hit me right in the face. And I just literally dove in. I literally, within one second, went from like, a wreck to holy fucking shit. Mm -hmm. And I dried my eyes and I was like, oh my God. I dove head first for weeks into all the stuff, the rabbit hole that like all of us do. Right. And, um, within a very short amount of time, maybe within a month, I opened up a secret bank account within a few months after that, I opened up a storage unit, a secret storage unit. I opened up three online secret businesses over the course of maybe six or seven months. One of them, including, um, uh, at that point I was doing, um, mental and emotional or, um, um, physical health. So I got into yoga, meditation, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause it was part of my journey and, uh, it took me four years over the course of four years. I was able to collect $50,000 secretly. I was literally leading two lives. So this life where I was getting emotionally and mentally just beat up every single day, told I was stupid and dumb and an idiot and, you know, the worst female on the planet. And then in this other corner, I was building my power and my voice and my finances and all the things that went along with that. And then I literally escaped one day in June. Um, I grabbed our clothes. I grabbed my son and I grabbed my bicycle. And that was it moved out and completely started over with a mattress on the floor 
And I've never worked for anyone since. I've grown my businesses. I've flourished. I've taken all of the angst and hurts and frustration from all the stories in my life. And I just poured them into my business. And I thought to myself, if I can endure like three or four hours of sleep, building businesses and enduring all this stuff and being told that I'm stupid every single day and then still doing this one thing over here, I can do anything. I can literally do anything. And I dove just headfirst into collecting money. That's what I, I like to joke. I collect money. Um, some people collect stamps. Some people collect Beanie Babies. I collect money. And um, I also collect community. So I'm all about everything that I didn't have at one point in my life is what I do now um, full time. And just every day I don't work. Every day I don't work. Every day I'm just building I'm just building. What a hero's journey, beautiful story, like from chaos to freedom, you know, and what's so interesting, and I hope you listening can really hear this, because there were a lot of layers as you were telling your story. It's like you used the chaos and the adversity that you were going through to actually build up your self-esteem. And so it was almost like happening simultaneously. And, and that is the key, right? Because the narcissist preys on your low self-worth and self-esteem. And you actually used that very thing to escape and build yourself up. And so as your confidence rose and your umpire rose, you had the confidence to break free. And it's just, that's so beautiful because I think a lot of times people want to escape they want to leave. They want to like cut out the pattern of like attracting narcissists. And that's what I see, you know, like when clients come to me, they're at the point of dating and they've already maybe broke free, but then they, they keep attracting the same pattern. Right. And so whether it's breaking a pattern or breaking from a relationship that you have right now, it, it takes such courage to do that. Like, are, are there some tips that you would give people? Cause I mean, People might be listening to this. It's like, wow, like, well, she was really strong and, and she was able to do this thing, but I don't know if I could ever do it. Like, what are some ways to get started to even just break free from all this? So same, not strong. What I had to do is I had to convince, I almost, I literally had to break myself into two people uh. and this person had to be smarter and more powerful than this person. So I set myself up in a power stance, knowing that the control he had over me was so powerful that I might not be able to do this, but if I did, I could leave. So when I started saving that money, I didn't save that money. Like the way that I tell the story now, it's like, oh, you did it. Yes, you got the man. But the whole time I was saving that money, I was not planning on leaving. Oh, really? No, uh, I was saving the money for a what if. Mm -hmm. So like every single time something horrific, like at least every week, the fights were so insane. Like there's always fights, right? When you're in that sort of relationship, but we would have huge blowouts where like the police would want to get called. We never called the police, but like I would be on the floor, just like in the corner and he'd be screaming at me. And I would be like, I need to call the fucking police. Um, 
And in my head, I would be like, I have to leave. I have to leave. I have to leave the situation. And I would think I have no money. I have no family. I have no friends. I have I have a baby. Like, how am I supposed to leave? And it was this cycle that just continued over and over again. And then the next day, they love bomb you. So then they minimize everything. They make it seem like I was crazy. So what I had to do is I had to say, hey, whether it's good or it's bad, it doesn't matter. At least I'll have a safety net. So when that Mm -hmm. cycle comes back around, at least I have a choice. I wanted to just have a choice on what I was going to do, not be stuck in that point of like wanting to die and then not having a choice. It was getting to the point I talked to my mom about this. And I knew that when I had this conversation with my mom, I had to leave. Mm -hmm. I was getting to the point where I knew someone in the house was going to get murdered and it wasn't going to be him hitting me. It was going to be me wanting to hit him or stab him because he would just elicit just this, this thing inside of me that was just not me. And I would want to just lash because there was nothing that I could say. His tongue was just so sharp. There's, I wasn't quick enough to be able to combat with anything. So the only thing at that point, you know, eight, nine years in, I was like my breaking point where the only other thing I could do was just grab something and just smash them. But I knew I wasn't strong enough. So I knew that me grabbing something would then elicit him taking it from me and me possibly dying. So I was getting visions of like, we're going to end up on the front page of the newspaper. Like this is actually what's going to happen. That's where I was at. So I had to, I had to create something so that when I was in that lull of like, I need to get, I need to stop this and violence is coming to me. I could literally take my son, remove myself from the situation and have money in my bank account. That's what that was. Yeah. Well, and what you're saying, just to also like bring it kind of more like in a broader way that people can hear, because you might be in a situation, you listening, and maybe it's not the finances that this guy has control over, or, you know, it could be like other things. And so we as humans are all motivated either by pain or pleasure, right? And what you created for yourself was a vision of pain and yeah. and, and fear. And that motivated you to kind of like get out. And so it could look like something like that and having that vision and getting to that point of being so fed up where it's like something bad is going to happen and I need to do something. But it also could be pleasure as well. It, like, you know, having just like beautiful people around you and a support system that has role models where you're like, I want that. How do I get that? (laughs) You know? And so I think whatever it is in in situations, it was so powerful to hear that you get to that breaking point that something's got to give and how you get there is really independent for each person, you know, and and what motivates you in your particular situation. Yeah. And then two other things I just want to mention really yeah. fast as far as mindset goes. I did two mm-hmm. other things. I kept a journal nice. um, of the abuse because the gaslighting was so heavy that I was, you double, you second guess yourself. You're like, maybe oh, I'm yeah. dramatic. Maybe I'm overthinking things. Maybe I'm being a drama queen. So I started to keep a journal so I could actually physically see the consistency over and over and over and over and over and over again on all the pages. Number one, number two, I didn't ever allude 
to me knowing or doing any research on toxic or abusive relationships. It was a complete secret. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that so many people make when they start realizing this stuff is they start spouting off these words like gaslighting or trauma bonding or narcissism to their spouse, thinking that that's going to like knock them conscious and they're all of a sudden going to wake up and be like, Oh my God, really? I didn't even recognize. Thank you for telling me. Yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. I like kept the whole thing a secret. And what I started to do was play a game oh. in my head. So all of the bickering and all of the things that would happen, I would, you know, obviously for those first eight or nine years up until when I was learning, you know, even that first year, I was still a mess when I was learning, but the last three years that I was with him, I was so in control of my emotions. I could elicit the tears that he was expecting without it actually hitting my soul. Mm. Like, and that sounds kind of messed up, but I like it's, and I even thought to myself, this is like morally messed up, but you have to remember, and this is what I tell people. It's like, they're messing with you. You're not trying to mess with them. So this is survival. This isn't like people will say like, I could never open up a secret bank account. That seems so dishonest and disloyal. Yeah, it is. I felt that too. I felt that. Like, how dare I? You know, this is me being a bad person or a bad girlfriend. I would not have done that though. This is survival. So I just started playing the game. I knew what he, I knew that he liked admiration. I knew that he liked for me to say things in front of people about how amazing or awesome or handsome or whatever he was. So I played into all of the things that I knew a narcissist needed to feed. And I gave that to him tenfold, including sex mm -hmm. tenfold. And then um, this way, the amount of like chaos, I guess, that was going on in our world, we still have to make sure there's still chaos, right? Cause that's how they feed. Right. But it was, I had it like, I manipulated it almost. I was able to calculate it and really gauge it um, so that mentally I could be these two people. Uh, so it was interesting. It was definitely a little bit of a out-of-body experience for me, but I really was able to control my situation. And that's really where that whole like time management organization, taking control of the chaos, that's where all that comes from. It's very calculated. You have to be a couple of steps ahead, kind of see what's going on, pull yourself out of your body and actually visualize, like see what is happening and what the stuff, cause they do the same thing over and over and over and yeah. over again. It's the same cycle over and over and over again. So pulling myself out of it and just kind of seeing where the situation was going, coming back down and acting out what he is expecting and then getting on with our day. Cause they switch, they can switch that fast. So you, they can go into these rages and then all of a sudden want to take you out to eat. Like it happens that fast. Um, so it's just riding the roller coaster but not emotionally, just physically. Right. No. And that's really important because it also like relates to, you know, just like how you break free from it, because what that up and down thing does is it creates anxiety. And so what you did was so brilliant by controlling things in your environment and the time management and all the things was giving you a sense of control for yourself in this state of uncertainty and unpredictability, because that's what they create, right? Yeah. And so I love that. And like thinking about it as almost ammunition in a war. 
That's really what it feels like. And, and actually, when you get out of it, then there's the PTSD that sets in after you're out of the war with your ammunition. So I, I'd love to like dive into a little of that. So like once you were out, like how were you then? And then how have you moved on? Because you certainly have moved on in such a beautiful way. Yeah. Um, so the PTSD is real. Yeah. Totally uh, <laughs> right. So very similar to the story that you shared in the beginning with the woman who um, started dating a man and she almost self-sabotaged it. I am now with uh, with the man. I've been with him for um, just about five years now. And I don't even know why he stayed with me because the ridiculousness that I put him through for the first year of our relationship was very similar. Um, I was always waiting for the for the shoe to drop. I didn't believe anything he said. Um, the nicest was too nice. Like there has to be an alternative motive here. Um, and just not believing that there are people that are that nice. Like there's no way, absolutely no way. So I gave him literally how, and then the triggers were constant. One of the biggest arguments that we would have until I realized what it was, was him just simply asking for the keys. And that's how small this stuff is. Cause what would happen is in my, with my ex, wow. um, little things would go missing, whether I did it or he did it, who knows, but it was always blamed on me. And something as simple as where are the keys and then searching the house for the keys for 10 minutes, right. Before we find them would then elicit a domino effect of our day. So we left 10 minutes late, which means we got every single red light, which means that we're late for this appointment, which means we didn't get this deal, which means now we're late for lunch and now he's freaking hungry, which, and it would domino into like sometimes three days just because of the keys being missing for five, you know, five or 10 minutes. So my fiance now we're starting to date, we're hanging out, we're all lovey-dovey. And then just one day random, he's like, Hey, do you know where the keys are? And I just freak out at him like a crazy person like breaking up with him literally like breaking up with him total defensiveness crying in the bathroom just all of my old habits like all of those old things coming up having no idea why it probably happened six or seven times before I remember exactly when I figured it out, I was actually on the floor. I was cleaning the floor with like soap and water, like mopping the floor, like a deep clean. And he said it to me while I'm on all floors. And the whole thing just rose up inside of me. And I stayed silent because we're always still working on ourselves, stayed silent. And then I turned around, I sat on the floor. I'm like, you know what? I just figured out why there's all this drama around keys. And I told him this whole thing. He's like, oh my God. So now he never asks me where the keys are anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to ask you that. <laughs> like, so yeah. no more keys. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Well, but a hook for the keys. And if the keys yeah. aren't on the hook, so I do my best to make sure that I do put them on the hook. So that's my end. But if for some reason they're not on the hook, then he just looks for the keys himself. There you go. So there you have it, folks. If you want to get over narcissistic abuse, just get rid of the keys. <laughs> it's the key to everything. No, but it's such a metaphor to what we're talking about here. And that is the triggers. Because yeah. like there'll be things that you experienced in your last relationship that triggered that, you know, that rampage that the narcissist would go on or the dynamic that he would or she would create. And that is that is such a big part of like recovery. 
And I love that you work through it though with him. Like, I love that you, you know, and I think that's so key is to pull in and say, okay, wait a second. Is this real or or perceived reality based on my past experiences? And that's really what it is, is double checking yourself and then communicating that to your future partner or whatever, whoever that is that you're dealing with. It's so hard to do. And like, kudos to you that you that you did it because, yeah. and, and then you, like you said, doing it over and over again, I think repetition is the other key. Yeah. I think the biggest issue was because the past relationship hit my ego so hard. Mm. The biggest issue for me going into a healthy relationship was checking my ego because, uh-huh. because my ego was so hurt and it was beat and it was stabbed and then it's healing and and I'm coddling it and I'm like, it's okay, you're gonna be fine, and I'm taking care of you now. But I still make mistakes and I still I still have triggers and I'm still dealing with this stuff. So like when it instant like the key thing happened and I'm literally freaking out like a crazy person, I have to check my ego and I have to say, My bad, my mm-hmm. fault. That was the hard part. That was probably the most difficult part was me not feeling wrong. Right. Because like in all the past experiences, I was not wrong. Like that's just a ridiculous um, reaction to a simple thing. Like just look for the keys for a couple minutes. Um, But because I was so trained to do that, I had to recognize that was wrong behavior. What I was doing to my new, you know, partner was wrong behavior. So, but having to apologize for something that like I wasn't trying to do is really hard. Mm-hmm. But having to do that for him and for our relationship and to keep it healthy, you know, was something that I really had to really work on. Yeah. It's like owning that piece yeah. of you. And, and by the way, I mean, even just attracting narcissists, you know, we all have responsibility in that too. Cause that's another thing. Like I, I was talking to a client the other day and she's like, all men are narcissists and they all suck. And going on and on, I said, yes. And <laughs> what is it about you that keeps finding them? Right. And so that's, and and that's where we get into more of the pattern disruption of, of that. But by doing some of these key things that you're talking about, like communicating it to people, you know, understanding your triggers, owning your responsibility yeah. and, and your peace in it and having that awareness, I think is, is so important. Um, well, I mean, we could go in so many directions with this because, and this is so juicy and awesome because I know there's a lot of people like struggling with this. Would you like maybe like kind of go over some of the things that you did in order to attract this kind of guy in your life? Because like we are talking about patterns, I assume so far you're not saying that he's a narcissist and like, how did you do that? Like, what did, what did you notice? Um, so before I do, you know, obviously working on my healing, I mean, that was number one. So like not diving into anything right away, um, working on my boundaries. So I, similar to what you told your, your client, um, date. So I dated, I dated a lot of guys. I, I got onto a dating app and I went on dates and I tried it out and I worked on setting boundaries. Right. So like, you know, things that didn't feel authentic to me, you know, longer dates, shorter dates, meeting too many times in a row, like working on saying no, working on, hey, that's enough time or no, thank you. Just really taking it in as like a school, 
Mm. Like I, I put myself through school on learning these little things. And when I met my fiance, I was not ready to meet him. Um, I obviously still had things that I was working on, but, um, I showed up powerful. I showed up authentic. Mm. I showed up truthful about my past and about what I was looking for. I, Am re- and he'll even tell you this, like really, really good at um, things that are bothering me, notating them immediately. Yeah. So, you know, versus what other, and I've even given him the option. I'm like, I can do both. I can do the whole thing that many people do where they count all the things and just keep it all in and down. And then just one day just explode. And we can just have an explosive argument once a month or, I can just authentically tell you when something's irritating me, we can talk about it for five or 10 minutes, be done with it and continue on with our day. Um, he continues to choose the second one. So we're good. <laughs> Thank God. Um, <laughs> yes. But that's one of the things. So I'm yeah. very quick to talk about things that, that hit me wrong or that are making me feel weird or that he's saying or weird or looking at me weird or whatever it is. Um, we talk a lot about ego. We talk a lot about how important it is to apologize. Um, and do our best. And I think we're really good at it, at just showing up fully and communicating all the things, even yeah. the stuff that's going to hurt his feelings. And I say that, like, I would rather you tell me things that you know are going to hurt my feelings, but then at least it's like a clean slate and we mm-hmm. can just move on. Yeah, no. And and that's, that is probably one of the hardest things because a lot of times, like I was talking about before, if you're in a people pleasing mode, that's super foreign to actually like be direct and say things out loud. And I think for, for, you know, people who are, well, they broke free from this narcissist maybe that they were in and now they're in the dating mode. Besides practicing those things that you said, another thing is taking a look at patterns and the guys that you meet. And I, I swear, like once you get really good at detecting a narcissist, it's so easy, right? Isn't it? Like, it's like, oh my God, there's another one. Oh my God, there's another one, you know? And, and you'll, you'll understand the dynamics faster and faster. And to the point where you won't even be attracted to them and they won't be attracted to you anymore. And that's the best narcissist buster there is, you know, and just start talking about yourself. Usually they're nowhere, you know, like that's the easiest thing that you can do. Right. And so, um, I love all this. Well, I, I would love for you to share any like kind of parting words of wisdom that you want and also how people can find you and how you help them. Sure. Um, so my main website is just sabrinavictoria.com. Make it easy. And I'm at Sabrina Victoria everywhere and all the things. Um, parting words. The thing that got me through my relationship all the way up until today is just one sentence. And the sentence is, everything's going to be okay. Oh, I love that. That's it. So in yeah. the heat of whatever it is, just quieting your mind for just a second and just literally repeating to yourself, like reminding yourself that everything's going to be okay through all of the stuff. I mean, there's so many ups or so many, in everybody's life, narcissists mm-hmm. are no narcissists. There's just stuff in everybody's like ups and downs and twists and turns. And it, there, it's so important to just continuously remind yourself that you've made it this far. You're doing good. Like you're doing good. Everything's going to be okay. And then just take the next step. Just take the next step forward in whatever that is. Yeah. Whatever that situation is. Um, but stay true to yourself. Stay authentic to yourself. Ask questions. 
Mm-hmm. You know, come on a podcast like this, continue learning. If you're on the cusp, I was on the cusp all the way until the day I left. All the way until the day I left. It was literally a, a, a toss of a coin on staying or not staying. Well, and like you said, even before, I mean, we're all on a constant journey, right? Like we're all working on ourselves and and it takes work. But when you do the work, you you do get the results that you want in a healthier way. And I, I just love that kind of simple sentence of it's all going to be okay and just empowering yourself and know that. And then secondly, take that action step. Because I mean, you can say that you're okay, but then if you're not doing anything, you're frozen. So it could be contacting you, it could be contacting me, it could be contacting a friend, like whatever it is, just do something that yeah. that creates that movement. So yeah, exactly. love it. Sabrina, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you for listening and joining me today. This has been the Charisma Quotient. I'm your host, of course, Kimmy Seltzer. And remember, you can build confidence, make connections, and find love from the outside in. And if you want to know more, make sure you go to my site, KimmySeltzer.com. And if you are a victim of narcissistic chaos and abuse and finding it impossible to break free from it, hop on a call with me to help you map out an escape plan so that you can learn to date smarter next time around. Just click the link you see in the show notes and schedule that. And who knows, that one call could change the entire course of your life. And remember, working on you is working on your dating life. That's all for now.